Okay, welcome to the big kickoff. It's the 17th of May. It's our Zoom show as we're all still locked away. But people who aren't locked away are over in Germany in the Bundesliga where they finally restarted and we finally got some live football back on the TV. First game probably everyone tuned into was the Borussia Dortmund versus Schalke 04. And uh, ironically, it ended up uh, Dortmund 4-0 winners on the day. Dave, did you watch the game? Yeah, I got to, I'd say 70% of the game. I was flitting in and out because obviously what a lot of people are saying, like it is a bit strange. So you kind of get up and walk away for a few minutes because it's a bit quiet or whatever with with lack of atmosphere. But um, Dortmund, Dortmund were quite slick, quite nearly what you'd expect of them usually. Um, a couple of nice moves for some of the goals and what have you. But, um, yeah, watching a couple of the other games later on, you could definitely see that from around the 60, 70 minute mark that they were starting to flag a little bit and the extra the extra bodies for substitutions kind of came in good stead. But as just pure, pure game of football, it's grand to watch. You know, it is what it is. People who are moaning about it, well, it, it this is the new norm for the, for, for, for the next while. And as I said to Peter, even if all the leagues were scrapped, this is exactly what you'd be looking at in the middle of August. So it's no different. So if you have a problem with it now, you're going to have a problem with it till it's over. So you have to suck it up and get on with it. Yeah. Were uh, Dortmund really good or were Schalke making them look a lot better than they were? Uh, probably a mixture of the two, to be honest. Like I said, like a couple of the moves for the goals, like they were quite slick and you could see the kind of passing movement that Dortmund liked to do and kind of movement off the ball, making it a simple pass look that little bit better because of the movement off it. So yeah, it was, it was a bit, a bit, bit of a mixture of both, but they were just quicker off the blocks and, you know, you can't exactly say the crowd helped them, if you know what I mean, because there was none and stuff like that. They were just just that little bit sharper and a bit quicker. And obviously, Schalke just couldn't get going. And maybe one or two down is the same motivation there than if you had your 70 or 80,000 at the game. I don't know. It'd be interesting to get a, a look into it from Schalke players. Like after the second or third, do they kind of, all right, let's just, let's just clock out and on to the next game kind of thing. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see the mentality of some of the players, how they found it. Yeah. Nathan, any standout players in that game? Uh, because who was Erling Haaland? Scored one goal. He had one assist. He had two contributions. And I didn't really think he had that great of a game. So, uh, I don't yeah. know what that, that tells you. What, what did you make of him? Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that everything he sort of touched seemed to turn into goals. Like, it was lucky enough. But it wasn't. Like, I've seen him play plenty of times in the Champions League. And I've seen him having far better games than what he had uh, yesterday, to be honest. Mm. Um, I think someone that was pretty quiet and like pretty do a little bit of an unsung hero in the middle when when he got, got taken off was um, Mandelani in the middle of the park for Dortmund. Yeah. Got a lot of mm. some, some decent stuff that went through him. He's confident enough in the ball, like you know, he's never going to be the most flashy sort of player, like. But I thought like a lot of a lot of good stuff that happened to Dortmund went through him. He was very open to get the ball and drifted out to the to the wings. And a lot of a lot of forward play, play that went that happened went through him really. Yeah, yeah. No, that, some players were fairly impressive. Uh, Julian Brandt I thought was very good. Yeah. Hazard, who had a, a, a Torgan Hazard. Yeah, yeah totally. thought he thought he was decent. You look at them, Peter. They had uh, Jaden Sancho on the bench. Mario Goetze. They were missing Marco Rose, Axel Witzel and Emre Chan. So they've got a, a, a big squad and of course they got to use their four substitutes as Dave included. What was, when you looked at Munich and you look at Dortmund, which is the stronger, uh, Peter? Which, which, which stands out to you the most? 
Um, interesting question, Roy, because um, looking at the game I saw today, obviously, with um, um, Bayern Munich, um, I noticed with Bayern Munich, they had quite a few of their players that have been injured for a while uh, on the bench and actually starting as well. And you sort of look at their bench that they had and the players coming back from injured. And I just feel that probably Bayern have just slightly got the stronger uh, actual squad more than anything. Uh, and in fact, they, actually, they were saying that having sort of the lockdown and, and the break of a couple of months, if anything, has helped sides like uh, Dortmund in particular and Bayern this afternoon as well by getting some good players back uh, after, after some injuries as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that Bayern did look a, a bit of a stronger unit than Dortmund. I mean, you know, going back to uh, those points, Schalke, you know, Schalke, I didn't think Schalke played too badly, but... I think the difference was, you know, Dortmund, I think their strength and their finishing was far better. I mean, all of those four goals, to be fair, they were very, very good goals, it has to be said. I think the player that impressed me, actually, was the guy who got his two goals, uh, Rafael Guaria. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he looked quite useful, actually. Uh, to be fair, took, his, took both of his goals uh, very well also as well. Um, but so, yeah, I just think Dortmund, you know, you, you could tell why, why Dortmund are going to be there or thereabouts in this Bundesliga. I think they're up to second now after that result. You can see as well, Schalke, they're probably just about underneath sort of, you know, six or seventh round about that. Um, possibly you could see them progressing a couple of more places up the Bundesliga, but I don't really think they can finish in the top three or four. They, To me, they don't seem to have that cutting edge. And in fact, they had a goalkeeper, a young goalkeeper, whose name escapes me. And I'll be honest with you, he didn't, he, shall we say, he didn't really have the best of games, to put it mildly, and a bit of a mare, actually, more than anything. <laughs> I don't think that's going to help their cause either as well. And of course, remember, Schalke were uh, are managed, in fact, by the ex-Huddersfield manager, uh, you know, uh, David Wagner. Yeah. And I was thinking at the time, I remember when uh, Wagner was at uh, Huddersfield, they did ship a lot of goals. And you can see why Schalke, after yesterday's performance, um, might be in that same bracket as well, actually. So, uh, yeah, a little bit disappointing, Schalke. I yeah. thought this afternoon, having said that, you know, th there was always a difference uh, between the two sides. And I think Bayern Munich looked really that if they did really want to turn it on, I think they could have done, and they probably could have won by more, actually, uh, in the end. Um, and, yeah, I, I was quite impressed by, you know, Bayern Munich. But you, you, you can see why Bayern Munich are obviously going to be clear favourites, I think, to win this Bundesliga this season. Yeah. They are, uh, I suppose, Munich are, are, are a real German side. They're just very efficient in what they do, aren't yeah. they? And they're very... Powerful, yeah. they're very straightforward. You kind of know what they're doing, but it's kind of hard to stop them. David, Jaden Sancho was on the bench. There was the story behind it was that he had a bit of a, a muscle injury, so yeah. they weren't going to risk him. Yet they brought him on with 11 minutes to go and risked muscle injury. What do we yeah. read into that? Well, you can't read into too much of yesterday, but there was a bit of in the months previous, say before Christmas, then after Christmas, there was a bit of to and frown and he was in and out of the team. And, you know, I don't know whether they were, it was due to potential, the flirting from the English side of things, but there was a bit of a thing in the press about him, kind of like, 
question is not necessarily his commitment, but they were. I think they were really trying to push him on. Are you, are you in here for the right reasons, or have you kind of starting to give up and move on to where you're gonna go in the future? But I doubt if that's got anything to do with yesterday. So I wouldn't be too heavy on that, but I would watch it with a little bit of a little bit of interest because obviously with contracts and obviously. I don't know what the decision is because most of them finish up at the end of June. I know Lampard and the English side of it is trying to get a few two or three month contracts for the guys who are finished up. But um, it'd be kind of a more of a watch this space because of obviously what went on before the lockdown, that there was a bit of in and out of the team for a while when there was a bit of a question on maybe his, his, his attitude, so to speak. So it'd be interesting. Maybe he hasn't been bringing it to the table since he came back, but without knowing too much, maybe it's, it, it, unfortunately, in my opinion, it'd be a bit more watch this space. Yeah, uh, some of the rest of it will probably never ever do so much talking about German football again on the podcast. But here we go, anyhow. <laughs> some of the other, some of the other scores. Uh, uh, RB Leipzig against Freiburg. They drew one yeah. all. Uh, Josef Poulsen earned Leipzig a point, but it's really two points dropped, and Red Bulls slipped to fourth uh, in a disappointing mm-hmm. performance. Hoffenheim three 0 losers to Hertha Berlin. Dusseldorf. And Pandaborn nil nil, Augsburg uh, one, Wolfsburg two. It was Daniel Jinsek with an injury time winner for Wolfsburg. <laughs> a great, great last minute winner for them. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and Bruce Munch and Gladbach. Nathan, you were watching a little bit of that. Uh, yeah. What did you make of that? Yeah, the game was done after ten minutes. To be honest with you, Roy, yeah. uh, Bruce Munch and Gladbach were two 0 up. I think seven minutes into the game. Yeah. So and it, it pretty was it pretty much was just they didn't shut up shop but to a certain extent you know um the boy was gone already after ten minutes like he just he closed up well he, he stifled any really chances Frankfurt had really pretty strange actually when Frankfurt scored a goal I think they scored in like the eighty fourth eighty fifth minute around in that ballpark anyway and um but it was strange what now when he scored uh, the celebration music still hit hit the stadium just bleeding baffled me they just, just no fans, 3-1 down, <laughs> 7 minutes to go, like, that was the first sign of sitting there, it was like, God, this is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like, no fans on the ground, like, you know, like, yeah. no, I like, think, even, even the celebrations are weird, like, in a way, like, it's, like, you can't celebrate together or anything. It's it funny though, uh, Nathan, that they, they can't celebrate together, they're all, some of them did now, our habit, yeah. but uh, you can't really celebrate together, but you're allowed line up one by one in a free kick in a wall. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Can yeah, do, like, that's one thing I was thinking about even watching it is like, isn't it weird all the precautions are taken? But yeah, it's like it's a full, it's, it is a full contact game, like you know. Yeah. They're, they're going through all these measures, but like you can be up in someone's personal space. You can be like I said, standing beside each other on a wall for a free kick. You can be mauling each other like for corners and everything. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. I think it's. The, I think. It. I think it's just all the, the initial starting. A place where we have to be careful yeah, and definitely. all that. I yeah, think yeah, it'll erode away, it'll melt away eventually. I think, and yeah, uh, these things will come true. Listen, uh, uh, Andre Silva scored that equaliser you were talking about, formerly of AC yeah. Milan, Portuguese yeah. player, and uh, Cologne drew two all with Mainz earlier on today. Yeah, Cologne were two nil up. Kundi Malong scored an unbelievable goal from the halfway line. We didn't shoot from there. Drove through the centre of the defence. Passed it in from 11 yards. We could talk about the defence, uh, but we'll just say we we'll go. Uh, so that's our little German wrap-up there. God, I can't wait till next week. <laughs> I, have to say, I have to say we're very snobby. Like We've been on this for four or five weeks and never once mentioned the Belarusian League. 
You uh, couldn't. No, you couldn't. What do you mean? I'm trying to get a Dominic on this podcast about five weeks now. He's wouldn't have Just don't. Want, I just don't want to pronounce the names. Yeah, that's why I said Dominic is the only one I can pronounce. That was an easy pick. Who I was supporting. <laughs> Anyhow, good to see football back on the telly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Peter, is it a good decision, bad decision? Do you think is it too early, or do you think it's about right? Um. Well, I, as you know, I've always had my doubts on this. Actually, um, it's difficult. It's so difficult to say. I think it's a little bit early, Roy, to judge it. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have football back. Obviously, yes. Uh, it's a little bit strange, as everyone keeps telling me, but as I think Dave or Nathan alluded to earlier, I think it's going to be the way forward that we're going to have to get used to it for a very, very long time. Um, the players seem to be content out there to be playing as well. And I think really, as I've always said, I think it's really down to now. I think a lot of the players' attitude, you know, mm. if they feel it's safe and it's right and everything is great, then yeah, OK, let's carry on with it. But I've still got this nagging doubt in my mind that, you know, just hopefully we're not going to get into a situation where this does start springing onto more uh, people testing positive or whatever, and even somebody, unfortunately, uh, getting very ill as well. And, you know, let's just hope and keep our fingers crossed and pray that that isn't the case as such. So, you know, I've still got my little bit of doubt that it, it will, will I'll have for a very long time. And that's why I think, well, I think it's a little bit early at the moment. I, I think give it a few more weeks and perhaps by then the Premier League may have even come up with some solution as well. And, well, and, and if, Peter, if, you look at, if you look at Germany, Peter, Germany, are, 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 it's a completely different stage probably that they are yeah, in the whole coronavirus right. than, than yeah, England true. are. And even during the match, bars and cafes were open for supporters to go in and watch the game and have a beer so they're at a completely yeah. different stage than than england yeah that's true yeah. exactly yeah no no I, I i totally roy i totally go along with that you're 100 right and i think that's proved already that as you said germany are in a much advanced position uh, than what we are there so at the moment yeah it, it appears to be in a safe solution but like i say i personally on a personal note i'd still be a little bit you know, on the back of my mind, I'm still a little bit anxious. So hopefully, just give it a few more weeks, and you know, let's let's hope and pray nothing bad goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I think everyone's in the same boat. No one really knows until until we actually no. know. So we'll find out fairly soon. Nathan, four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, has recently announced that he will leave his team Ferrari at the end of the 2020 season after five years. The decision has been mutually agreed by both parties, with Vettel saying, the team and I have realised that there is no longer a common desire to stay together beyond the end of this season. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> I think a lot of it, what I can gather from it is that they, they brought in uh, Carlos Sainz in as his replacement for the 2021 season. And from, every, from that decision and everything that Ferrari has come out and said, I think Ferrari are looking towards youth and they're going to try gamble on younger drivers for the, for the foreseeable future. Well, like, like Vettel's totally tail, like it's still, plenty, it's still plenty of driving left in them, like, you know, but I think that's the route they're going to go down now at the moment is they're winning, they, they have the two younger lads now as their drivers for the 2021 season and obviously the seasons 
kind of hit. Yeah. Is it that Ferrari have just been shown how disgruntled they are? I mean, he's come third, fourth, second and fifth in yeah. the championship. He hasn't really given them enough hope to, t- to believe that he can... The promise that he had, obviously, four-time world champion, yeah. it, 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 they don't believe in him anymore. Is that generally it? But even at that, like when he came in from Ferrari, like he, the, the the year before he came in, he finished fifth. But I don't know he had to put the four back-to-back uh, world championships. Yeah. But um, I think he, he found himself as well in a in a time of transition at Ferrari. Like from the five years he was there, he went down that second team principal. That chairman passed away in 2018. And the last driver to win Ferrari um, a world championship was Kimi Räikkönen, and he left the team like, all during that five years. So, like, there was mistakes, especially in the 2017 and the 2018 season, when he finished second for them years. And then for years, he led the championship for, for a good chunk of the season anyway. Mm. And there was a lot of, like, on-track mistakes and mistakes, like, in, in the pit stops and everything, like, and... I think a lot like there was just a real transition around the team at the time, and I just think the unbalance mixed in with like obviously Vettel is known as a like as a real personality in the sport, like you know, like he's a very like goal driven person, and he really like he can't come across as a like how does how do you even say it? like as a bit, bit arrogant sometimes, you know, like yeah, arrogant yeah. But I don't think he's going to retire. Yeah. To be honest with you. I think a lot of people after where we have even said the, you can see the passion is still there, and once the passion is still there in any sport, like they're gonna hang around. So then, obviously, it's the question of where to go. Yeah, he's not gonna go to Mercedes. He's imagine that Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel in the same team. Uh, Jesus Christ! Any, anywhere, just anywhere would just seem like a step down, though. I suppose at this stage, if you're yeah, not going like, to Mercedes, like, like, it's gonna be know, tough like, for him to get to back to the top of the table, isn't it? Yeah, because like even where Bola come out and said they don't want, they wouldn't really want them back. They they're happy enough mm. with Max Verstappen as their as their uh, main driver, but they don't really want two alpha males in the same team. Because uh, like even when Vettel was there, like it was him and Mark Webber were there together, and it was a constant button of heads. Uh. Probably McLaren or Renault would be the two realistic choices, maybe. But even at that, like uh, McLaren came out today and said that he's not on their radar whatsoever. So Nathan, yeah, is Daniel Ricciardo leaving Renault as well? Yeah, he's he's so uh, Carlos Sainz is leaving um, McLaren to take over for Vettel with Ferrari, and Ricciardo is going from Renault to McLaren. So Renault Mm. do have free space available, which he could he could slide in there. But like I said, like like if it would be a step down, wouldn't it, from like going to Red Bull to Ferrari down down to Renault, who really haven't won anything since. Fernando Alonso in the early noughties. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, it's that, going to be that's a bit of a merry-go-round. Mm. It really is. Like, and especially, there is a room now that even Alonso is, is being enticed back in the fall as well. Like, so, really? It really is. Like, you know, like, like to, to, to rub a phrase from you, Dave, it really is. It watches space. Like, because mm. it, it, it never changes the situation day by day. Like, it really is. Yeah, it actually makes it a lot more intriguing now because it, it, he's going to have to finish off this season. It'd be interesting yeah. to see how he finishes the season off. Yeah, I, th- I think the season is coming back now on the 5th of July. Yeah. So it's a strange time. I, I personally thought it was a weird time to announce it. Like, there hasn't been like any racing at all this season, so he's going to have to go through the whole season trying to keep the harmony together in the team. And obviously, like he is a very uh, like goal-driven person, so he's going to want to win the World Championship with Ferrari. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he's leaving or not. 
But um, I just, it just, it just hasn't worked out for me at all, really, with a number of different things. And plus, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have just been on top form completely the past couple of years. Too. Yeah. Well, as you said, we'll, we'll, we'll watch this space on that one. Dave, for anyone who doesn't know the background of MTK <laughs> Global Promotions, formerly MGM, can you bring yeah. them up to date, please, before we go into the next layer? Yeah, strap yourself in here, right? <laughs> so, there once was a boxer called Matthew Macklin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we all know who Matthew Macklin is, you know, kind of Irish, uh, Irish uh, UK uh, boxer. Uh, family based in Tipperary kind of came over here every summer so he's kind of a, a hybrid like we, we take it well if he had won a world championship we, we'd, we'd have said he was Irish you know the real typical but because he didn't he's English <laughs> so um, yeah so he founded uh, Macklin's Gym Marbella MGM in Marbella alongside Daniel Kinnan uh, who was an associate basically he was the one who helped kind of bankroll it so Slowly but surely, it grew into a management stable as well. So it was just pure gym in, in, in Marbella where a lot of the top fighters from the UK come over and Ireland and just go to some warm weather training and what have you. And then slowly but surely, it, it grew into a, a stable of uh, um, fighters and it changed into MTK Global. Just before it went to MTK Global, uh, MGM were showcasing a clash of clans four years ago in the and the weigh-ins were in the Regency Hotel in Dublin. And famously, there was two guys, two or three, there was, I can't remember exactly how many, but one was dressed as a kind of a SWAT, armed police. One was dressed up as a woman in the high heels. And they came in and famously, uh, apparently, where the main target was Daniel Kinnan, um, because it's uh, the Kinnan family are known to be the head of a, a massive, um, let's just say, um, not very nice people. Um, and they're the biggest kingpins in the mall, apparently. Uh, well, more his father, um, allegedly. Uh, we have to keep saying allegedly a little bit in this in this piece. But anyway, he was the main target, and it became known as the Kin and Hutch feud from then on. And after that, that's when it became NTK Global, and he was allegedly bought out by Sandra Vaughan, who was um, friends with him over 20 years, and she is now the chief executive of NTK Global. And the reason why it's become a bit more prominent because she came out in this week with an interview um, and a fairly well-constructed interview with um, somebody with direct links with MTK. So it was fairly nice and steady. But the reason why the, the interview has come about is because they severed all ties, said he has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, there is no uh, criminal links with the, with the company anymore, blah, 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 blah. But the problem was, you know, the rumours are always there and they haven't really had a, a foot in, in Ireland ever since. They tried to come up with a few fights in the Cork region, I think, with one of the Furies. And there was a few others in Dublin and they all just got cancelled and the, the police didn't want to do it because they thought there'd be repercussions from the Kin and um, Hutch feud. So she's had to come out because, basically, Bob Aram, who is one of the most famous, if not the most famous boxing promoter in the world, which I think a lot of us know, has pretty much said that without Kinahan, a lot of what's going on at the moment wouldn't be happening. And he's renowned now in the background as one of the biggest promoters in the game. So basically, he has joined up with the Prince of Bahrain, uh, and their company is called KHK Sports. And his job is to basically bring massive Middle East fights, mega fights to the Middle East. And the biggest rumor is he's the one who's behind getting Fury and Joshua over the Middle East for mega books fight. Um, so basically Sandra's come out and had an interview and been very 
eloquent about it. And now she's had to backtrack a little bit and say he is an advisor, an unofficial advisor to one or two of the lads in the stable of MTK, but he's still not officially with them and no links. But in the interview, she made a, a very, very, very interesting quote. And she said, they are going to have to change at some point and acknowledge the fact that as I say, whether they like it or not, people like, now this is, this is like people in the media and like us have to change their opinion on Daniel Ginnon. So the quote is, they're going to have to at some point acknowledge the fact that as I say, whether they like it or not, people like Bob Aram, uh, the Prince of Bahrain, Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn, all of these big fights will happen because of Daniel Kinahan. That is a fact. The other part is fiction. So I presume she means the criminal aspect. I don't know whether it is the Irish mentality, but at some point, would you not be proud of someone from inner city Dublin that is actually sitting at the top of the table with, the, with such a people like the Prince of Bahrain and Bob Aram making history, making fights for Ireland? Would you not be proud of that? Would you not be proud that someone has got out of that inner city life and made a huge success. But by the way, he's not in our company anymore, you know? So yeah. it's very interesting reading. Um, but now, by all accounts, he's the main man pulling all the strings behind everybody else. And it's, it's, it's I suppose it's, it's been a big story because MTK banned all the, the blanket ban on Irish press and their boxers yep. came out very, very strongly criticizing yep. Irish people and Irish press for, uh, I suppose, bad mouthing the company, a company who, yeah. who supporting their their boxers, and now yeah. this has kind of tarnished their stance. Uh, they have mm-hmm. three hundred boxers, including Tyson Fury, Frampton, and Conlon. So it's a bit of egg in the face, isn't it? And she, and with that little bit at the end, uh, what's a fact is his prominence in the game, and then. The other part is fiction. That's a, that's the one and only sentence she said. The other part is fiction. So mm-hmm. is she trying to push back like he's not a criminal? Granted, he's no um, criminal record or whatever. But by all accounts, his father Christie and and all but below him, it's fairly common knowledge who they are and, and what's the crack. So yeah. it's 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 a bit of fighting talk and very interesting. But maybe some of these people have no choice but to praise him because he is now becoming incredibly powerful that you've got one of the biggest powerhouses, Bob Aaron, who is on a level, if not absolutely above the likes of Eddie Hearn, saying, yeah, he, he's a kingpin. Yeah. Could Part very well, could very well be the first crack in the, uh, in the, yeah. in the company. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Quickly, Eddie Hearn. Yeah. Madison Square Garden was one. Now you're going to have the matchroom garden. Um, basically his whole family home is now home to the matchroom company in Brentwood in Essex and he's hoping to get four lockdown shows there are five fight cards or five fight cards uh, four weekends weekends in a row Um, he's going to have the fighters coming in uh, five days beforehand and in an isolation kind of hotel they'll be tested straight away within 24 hours if everything's okay and good to go They'll stay, if not, off on, on the merry way they go. There's going to be a, a gym at the hotel ready to rock. And at the back of the ground, I don't know whether any of you have seen the, the footage of it. It was kind of like a drone. There's a little square, ironically, of a bit of bush and a, and a flagpole. It's exactly where the ring's going to be. And they'll have a Sky Sports studio in the distance. They reckon it's going to take about 90 people max to, to make it happen. Um, he's a big enough stable to get it going. It's more so, as he said, to highlight the sport and keep the legacy going. It's going to cost him money, and he understands that. But ultimately, it's just to kind of keep the flag going and keep it in the in the front of people's minds and showcase a few of the guys, so that when 
they can start packing out arenas again, there's still an interest and still a want and yeah. trying to keep some of the, the people who are slowly coming back to boxing still in the game and not drifting away. So the rumours are that it's a fairly standard enough, uh, some of the guys at the stable, but Taylor, Katie Taylor's fight with Amanda Serrano is rumoured to be one of them. And the very last weekend is going to be his kind of big one where he's going to try and probably get Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin's fight on it. And it may be a pay-per-view, maybe. But um, other than that, there's no confirmation of what the fights may be. Um, the only thing he did come out and say that Alexander Usyk's fight with Derek Jazar more than likely will potentially be abroad. He didn't say when, so it won't be part of that four-week kind of um, uh, fight, fight scene, as he's calling it, matchroom fight camp. So yeah, five fights a week, every weekend and then a kind of a slightly heavier card at the last one that may be pay-per-view. Do you think that this comes off the back of looking at UFC 249 and seeing 100%. how well it ran, yeah? Uh, 100%. It's very much... Um, Dana White was even talking big about him recently, so apparently he's been talking to him a lot about what they've been doing and what's going on and kind of robbing the best ideas and then making one or two little changes themselves. So I'd say there's a lot of eager guys who will be more than happy to get out there and get a paycheck. Um, as I said, you, you can kind of guess a few of the fighters that will probably be there, the fairly stereotypical middle-of-the-road guys in the in the, in the Heron stable. But, you know, as it, like it's a catch-22. Yes, they might make a few quid at the end of the, the for the pay-per-view fight at the end. But as he said, it's more just to get it out there and keep people, just keep the keep the guys current so that when they can kind of start really raking it in, it's that the... It's just a bit of a showcase event, more so than a money-making one. Yeah, well, I think pl- plenty of people will will look for their fix, and uh, I definitely yeah. think people will encourage it. Peter, the West Indies are due to tour England in July. Why is it going to cost the ECB a few more quid? <laughs> it's going to cost them quite a bit, actually. Um, well, the reason being, yeah, the reason being is quite simply the West Indian cricket balls. Uh, haven't exactly got the coppers, so to speak, financially wise. Um, I mean, this isn't anything to do with the coronavirus pandemic. No, I mean, the West Indies Cricket Board, Roy, for a long while, um, really financially wise, have been in quite a bit of trouble, actually. that They haven't got the amount of money that, say, for instance, the ECB have got. So basically, the West Indies um, are scheduled to tour over here uh, player test series uh, in July. It was going to be June because it's now been moved now to July. Um, potentially, um, it, the ECB clearly want to try and get some form of international cricket. Uh, the West Indies board have said, we don't mind coming over here, as, assuming that the players concern, and I do believe there's a few of them that have got their doubts, uh, understandably so, about conditions in the UK at this present moment in time. Um, But if those players can either be persuaded or not, or some other players can, and the West Indies will be able to put a squad together, they reckon it's going to take a minimum of four weeks to prepare for this series when they do come over here. And they're working on the assumption that two of those weeks, obviously that's going to be due to our quarantine procedure that we've got currently in the United Kingdom at the moment as well. So basically it's a case really of uh, the West Indies really couldn't afford it, so to speak. Uh, the ECB clearly want to have some form of international cricket, government restriction-wise, etc. as well. And if that is the case, they are quite prepared to foot the bill for the West Indies to come over here 
And also, Pakistan are due to be touring as well. They've got a Test and 2020 series lined up also. And the word is that Pakistan are very happy, as it stands at the moment, to actually come over into uh, England and play that series again, assuming that we can get some form of a cricket, albeit behind closed doors. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I think really this is a case, Roy, of, you know, if you want to see us, that's fine, but you're going to have to pay for us to come over. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I, listen, I think they, they need to need to pay the money just to get the cricket back on, just to get people talking about it and not get left behind by the other sports as well. The rugby, the Gallagher Premiership sides could be stripped of titles should they breach salary caps. Talk to us about that, Peter. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's being proposed at the moment, and the word is that all the Premiership rugby are clearly in favour of this. And this is something that I'm pretty certain is going to be adopted. Basically, salary cap breaches in future could actually see clubs being stripped of not only their titles, but more importantly, suspended from the leagues. This, of course, comes on the back of Saracens, uh, as you may or may not know, being uh, relegated. Uh, what they will be at the end of this season, whatever happens, whether we get any more rugby in or not, due to uh, constantly breaching the salary cap, cap procedure as well. But what it will mean is uh, clubs will be facing relegation suspension and the loss of titles and prize money as well. There'll also be central access to each club's salary cap spreadsheet. That's going to be at all times. So therefore, the clubs are going to have to be very wary now and make sure there's no undoing as such. Everything's got to be declared and above board. And players, more importantly, are going to be deemed accountable and face a £250,000 fine or a life ban for repeated offences. And that is going to be quite serious for not just players' pockets, but uh, the game of rugby in particular as well. Plus... We'll be talking about the loss of 15 points for a £200,000 breach by clubs and up to a maximum of 50 points for a £650,000-plus breach also as well. As you can tell by those figures, Roy, very, very big money, uh, severe punishment, but I'll be honest with you, I think it has to be done. I mean, there's very few people around the rugby world when the Saracen story broke quite a few months ago that really had any sympathy for Saracens, it had to be said. You know, it's fairly obvious they've been doing this. They've virtually come out now and admitted it, albeit it did take a huge amount of time for them to do so. But at the end of the day, uh, people were saying in the rugby world, well, that's fine, but surely we've got to have much stronger and stiffer penalties and punishments. Now, if this goes through, and the likelihood is that, as as I mentioned earlier, it is going to happen, this has got to be good for the game. And it's, to be honest with you, right, it's got to be the way forward. It's as simple as that. Yeah, no, I think it's good to see you need to have strict regulations everywhere now, and especially when we go on to talk about the EFL, we will be discussing probably where do you need to use more restrictions there. Uh, Peter, League Two clubs agreed to end the season last week. What was decided? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> How long have we got? No, no. Basically, um, yeah, you're right, um, Roy. Uh, they had a meeting at the EFL headquarters. Uh, both pl- uh, leagues did. League One, League Two. League Two came up with a sensible solution. They've actually voted 
for the season to finish completely. They've also voted to uh, keep playoffs, have no relegation. So Stevenage, who are currently bottom of uh, English Football League 2, uh, they've been reprieved, basically, um, and it's the likelihood is that Barrow, who are top of the National League, will therefore take Stevenage's place. How they're going to finish the season, as they've now said, that's it now. Uh, it's going to be average points per game, which, as you know, guys, I've been uh, flagging as my favourite way of finishing the season for a long, long time. Uh, they've agreed on that. Now, this has still got to be uh, ratified by the EFL and the football association but uh, assuming that they are happy with it that's how league two is going to end up league one well that is still sort of squabbling between them at the moment because they had a meeting earlier um but unfortunately after that meeting they, that was concluded without a definitive outcome apparently they're going to have a meeting tomorrow to try and thrash out another deal. The, the stumbling block at the moment, quite simply, is I think the vast percentage of League One clubs, I've been told, really just want the season to finish, like their colleagues at League Two. But there's six clubs in League One who will probably wouldn't surprise you, the fact that they're just outside or in and around the playoffs, and they actually do not want the season to finish. They want it to carry on. The six clubs concerned are Sunderland, Peterborough, Ipswich, Fleetwood, Oxford and Portsmouth and like I say that's the main reason why obviously they uh, are adamant about the fact that no they, they want to see some sort of season uh, basically they just want to get the games in and then they can try and see who gets in the playoffs and who doesn't get in the playoffs but as I say the word seems to be the general opinion is the other clubs don't agree with that they just want it to finish and I think pretty certain in the end that's probably what will happen but that's the reason why that's been sort of put on hold at the moment until Monday when they can come out with some other deal as well. So um, the English Football League, not quite as bad as the Premier League, shall we say, in particular, because at least they've managed to almost come to some solution. But I, I reckon by next week, it's going to be a situation where League One are going to follow suit with League Two. Those six clubs, I think they're going to be very upset. Whether or not then they start taking legal action involved, who knows? That may even come into the equation as well. But uh, I think it's going to be a question for next week in particular. Just watch this space and let's just see what happens on Monday. Yeah, just correct me if I'm wrong here because you kind of caught me on the hop there. Stevenage, there was no relegation, is that correct? Or there is relegation? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They voted for no relegation. Um, the, the reason being is um, Berry, who started the season in League Two, Roy, ah. they very oh. unfortunately folded. They, they couldn't, um, basically, they, 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 there's no way that they could carry on. So technically, they were uh, thrown out of the league. Yeah, hence the reason why uh, the league really has always been one short for... Yeah from about September onwards. So the clubs, as part of their agenda and their vote, was to quite simply say that um, we want to finish the season now, carry on with playoffs, uh, have promotion, etc., but no relegation. So therefore, Stevenage are going to be surviving. As it stands at the moment, like I say, assuming that this does officially get uh, ratified by both the FA and the EFL. Ah, yeah, no, because that makes more sense to me now because 
I had thought about if Stevenage weren't relegated, would League One clubs want to be relegated? Well, obviously there's a space there, so uh, yeah. a team can yeah. come up. So that makes perfect sense. Good. Thanks for clarifying that, Peter. Um, if there's three teams going up, it means that there's or four teams going up. It means four teams have to go down from League One. Uh, so you're going to have six teams who won't... We're going to have 10 teams in League One who won't want the season the way it is. <laughs> so when it comes to a vote, there's supposed to be a certain majority, isn't there? So uh, Yeah, I think it's I think it's 14. Um, I believe it's a 14 majority, Roy, as far as I'm aware. Okay. And, and what is it? 20, is it 24 in the league? 22 in the league? What's 24. Yeah, 24, yeah. So it just it, it just requires everyone else, bar those ten, to to yeah. vote to get it through. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting <laughs> to see where that goes. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons why League One didn't vote or voted to to cancel the the league is because they couldn't afford to. I'd say there's a good handful of clubs in League One who couldn't afford to play behind closed doors as well. So this will probably yeah. suit them. So. The outcome probably will be a cancellation of the league, uh, even though you'll have a few people grumbling about it, but that's the way it is. That's the time you live in. The championship, though, Dave, will be a little bit more trickier because from what I believe, the EFL clubs don't want to vote for no relegation, as in EFL, uh, the championship, because... If they vote for no relegation, there's a precedence and the likes of Leeds, West Brom, West Brom. won't get in because then the Premier League get in, bring in, a, 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 once there's a precedent set, no relegation yes. into the Premier League. So, of course, then there'll be a knock-on effect. But just on something Peter talked about earlier on, there's talk, big talk, about championship clubs being restricted by a salary cap not for another 12 months, though, but bringing it in. The idea was debated by a working party that is wading through the financial wreckage of the coronavirus. A 15 to 20 million limit for first-team squads is high on the group's agenda. And one of the reasons why is because these clubs are putting so much money into trying to get into the Premiership, yeah. risking their clubs. For every one pound of income, generated by the clubs, the players are receiving £1.06, which EFL chairman Rick Parry uh, took a call for a proper reset post-COVID. So the average salary in the second tier in the championship is £29,000 per week. Yep. Should there be a salary cap, not just for EFL championship, but should there be a salary cap all over football? Oh, across the board. Like, it, it's, it's, it's so badly run. Um, because unfortunately, whether we like it or not, they are businesses as well, and a lot of them are incredibly uh, poorly run. Um, and another thing he alluded to as well, Rick Perry, is potentially scrapping the balloon payments that come down, the extra money you get when you come down from the Premier League, because the gap is so big and um, it makes them so strong compared to the other half of the championship when they come down, and then that cha- the, re- the other half of the championship are trying to pump in the money to try and match these guys because they kind of have a free year where they can still have the guys in the big books and maybe try and keep a few of them to go straight back up so I have always been an advocate of it I understand EU laws and sports and fair I don't know the exact kind of 
fancy wording of it, and I understand certain aspects of it, but I always thought a minimum, could we not do a cap until a certain age to kind of give the smaller guys a chance of keeping their star players and they're not all gone at 17 and 18. If they can only earn 20, 25 grand a year up until 21, 2021, they might stay at that club and help them and bring them up the, the ranks or bring them up the league a little bit better and you're, you're not all leaving at 17 and 18 so you can get your 80 and 90 grand a week with the, other, with the, with the big boy clubs but go on loan back to the same clubs at that level but earn triple and quadruple the money. So if, if it does happen, I'd be absolutely shocked with the way the Premier League is running, the money that's in it, I'd be shocked. Um, I think the massive revolt, you know, but in relation to the league's lower, without a shadow of a doubt, there's some very badly run clubs and hence why your berries won't be, uh, that's just setting the tone for many more to come. Uh, but ironically, it's the, it's the one, it's the one opinion that uh, I think Mr. Neville keeps quiet on anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. But could it be, could it be set in a way that it's around your income so a certain percentage of everyone's yeah. wage salary would be on the income that they get in the club. So if you're if you if you're bringing in more income, you get to spend more. It's, it's general business, right. really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think that's the in inverted commas. Obviously, no one can see us. Uh, the financial fair play rules. You're supposed to spend within a certain amount yeah. of your budget, and obviously the the big boys are building these fancy. Uh, training facilities I don't think it's a surprise that Liverpool are, are leaving Melwood I'd say deep down they wouldn't want it but now they get to put in a, a boatload of money into the one in Kirkby to be able to probably stay in the big spending sprees for the time being so they can stay under this um, that's why Man City went so crazy on their infrastructure for a while so that they could keep spending on players mm-hmm. um, and Liverpool are doing the same but it's not enforced the way it should be but uh, the big boys will still be the big boys but Definitely, this half a million, half a half a million a week wages and stuff like that. It's just in this day and age, and especially with what's going on, it really just shines a light on football and not in the right way. That some of yeah. these guys and the opinions they're giving out, it's like, who do you think you are at the moment? You're like, you're you're sitting in your ivory tower, calm down and get back in your box. You're you're just a footballer. You're not you're not that important. Yeah, I well, I was looking at a story with Harry Kane. Harry Kane is living in a seventeen million pound mansion, which yeah. has a, an indoor gym, seven bedrooms, has a man cave with big, large TV screens where he plays his video games and Fortnite yeah. and all. Uh, but he is renting it for fifteen thousand a week. That's seven hundred and eighty thousand per year. Wow, that sounds mental to me. But is that yeah. what is that? part of the problem now that they, they just keep thinking that the money's coming and when you look at the likes of Ronaldinho broke in, in jail whatever yeah. but there's loads of players who are, who are gone broke they think this money's going to last forever there's a real problem with the, the money that's in football well they need to sit down um, it might have already been on BT Sport over the last week or two but it's been around for years uh, ESPN as they always go on every now and then about the 30 for 30 it's a, it's a simple documentary called Broke and I think it's 70% of NFL players are broke within the first three years of finishing football. And slowly but surely, I think there's a bit of that going on with these guys. always trying to keep up with the Joneses and the next big thing in the flash cars. And there's only 20 of these made in the world. And I have one of them, even though is it really much point in it? Like the, the famous picture of James Madison during the, during the season, there wearing some rucksack that cost six grand. Um, and it was an awful looking thing, but it's a rare and exclusive bag. And he has it. 
because why not? You know, yeah. um, it, like they. I watched a documentary the other day about on ITV four when football changed forever. It was the last season of the football league going into the Premier League, and you know the guys were on good money as they said, but they still felt a connection with the fans. They still felt part of the working class and then all of a sudden like Gordon Strachan's talking about it and says even the next year it just changed forever we were gone we were on a different level and it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger and they have no concept of reality and no concept of people like us who worship the game and worship the team and worship the players they have no concept unfortunately yeah and uh, part of me not that I'm saying that footballers shouldn't be concerned about going back playing football but part of me thinks along those lines when we're talk when when they are talking about going back playing football, even ourselves talking about going back playing football, mm. when there's people driving buses, people in shops, doctors mm. and nurses out there, and everyone is and delivery drivers, they're all going out and so doing their daily working routine. So the skills are back. The skills are back in the UK in two weeks, and yeah. So sometimes there's not one mention of it. With them, I'm not so sure. Uh, anyway, we we move on from that one. Nathan, any other stories you want to finish off with? Yeah, I've, I've won. I've actually two. I've won very quick one. I only had to say it there a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Darren Gibson let go in Salford uh, yeah. this evening. Another just a disappointing uh, spell in, in what was a just a very stalled career, hasn't it been? Yeah. For someone yeah. like starting out at Manchester United, like and now just had to, obviously they drink driving charge and stuff at Sunderland, and now now just let go from after playing like some three games for Salford City in League Two. Yeah. Uh, but as well, you know me with days. I always like to go to uh, the League of Ireland. I didn't do it last week, so I said I better make up this week. Uh, the concept of an All Ireland League has always been like discussed and talked about, especially now in the last couple of years. And uh, Derry City came out recently this week. Um, pretty much the for- the first team to advocate for the All Ireland League uh, between uh, the FEI and the IFA. Pretty much, uh, they said that they looked at the they looked at the plan, they looked at the statement and the merits and the feasibility of an all Ireland league, and so they went through and they were happy with the, the structure of the league and how the structure accommodates smaller clubs, so, so these clubs can remain in their budgets without trying to challenge the likes of like they're gonna have a smaller team from Northern Ireland coming in, challenging from Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers, and then they're probably like trying to like spend all the money and try to work with them and stuff like. So I said, it really does look after these sort of clubs. And um, I thought it was pretty interesting to hear like the point of view from Derry City. You know, somebody that's like, um, that's they play obviously up in Northern Ireland, but yeah, play football down uh, in the Republic. I just thought it was pretty interesting to see. Yeah, to I see. think that's a, that's a big, it's a big thing, isn't it? Because obviously they, they are in the North and for them to come out, it's nearly like, a, it's nearly like an olive branch kind of thing to, the Northern Irish clubs, which I am on a, a Facebook group, uh, the Irish Irish League Facebook group, and I can tell you now, none of their fans are interested in the, the, the All-Ireland League. So there's going to have to be a lot of persuading. So maybe this is a, the first step of probably a thousand steps to get to that point. Yeah, I think so. Because even uh, Derry came out in the statement and said that they heard from other, other clubs are interested or... From what I'm reading online, like I said, uh, that doesn't seem to sort of to fill that down to the fans, to be honest. Yeah, well, maybe hopefully money talks in this one because money is needed in both leagues 
to give it that boost. Yeah, and especially now we're, we're seeing with the virus coming in now at the moment how much both league, like, and every league, but especially the two leagues are struggling big time. Yeah, like it's just yeah. just not there at all. Like. Yeah, and some some clubs may not be around if 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 no, it struggles for much longer. Uh, Peter, story, finish off. Yeah, um, interesting one. This you you may or may not have heard of it this week. Um, there's a Paralympic uh, a rower called uh, Lauren Rolls who's actually decided to set up a a WhatsApp group purely for her fellow uh, Paralympics uh, athletes concerned, etc. As well. And she gave it the wonderful to- uh, title, should I say, of Para Queens, which yeah. makes you realise queens, women, you know, which <laughs> I thought was quite good, actually. Basically, uh, it's got Ellie Simmons, Paralympic uh, 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 person. Um, as I say, Lauren Rolls. It's also got uh, uh, Claire Cashmore in as well and a few others also. And, uh, and Paralympic cyclist Helen Scott as well. Uh, it's a total of 11. And the idea what she did it for was so that to relieve the boredom of training on your own, which I thought was quite good actually, <laughs> because a lot of uh, people now, obviously they can't train outside with their trainers. So therefore they're going to have to do a lot of training online. And of course she came up with this uh, WhatsApp group just purely by incident because a couple of people were sort of interested in speaking to her about a few training drills and it grew and grew and grew. And of course she gave it the title, para queens for all 11 of them as well and not only is she sort of doing online training and they're, they're helping each other as well there's all sorts of things that they're, they're doing and um she was saying that uh, what started off with just a couple of people has now grown to 11 and um even after the lockdown they're obviously going to keep in touch as well uh keep letting everybody know how they're doing with their various training regimes also and uh, i thought it's quite a good story actually yeah, so uh, yeah. you know, no. that's my story of the week that's good <laughs> everyone's got to keep in contact dave finishing off a story i suppose you can call it a story but it's kind of as it's happening there's a, a anyone who's a golf nut and um, will be watching it currently at the moment started on sky sports and i'm sure many other um outlets at the minute it's a charity skins match with uh, Matt Wolf and Ricky Fowler versus uh, Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson. And it's in a well-known golf club called the Seminole Golf Club. It's never actually held a PGA Tour event. It's in Juneau Beach in, in, um, in Florida. But it's a very exclusive club where they only have 300 members. And famously, Jack Nicklaus's application was rejected uh, many moons ago. Um, and at the moment, uh, current members include Tom Brady, and Rory McIlroy's dad. So I don't know how he pulled that string if Jack Nichols isn't there. <laughs> uh, John F. Kennedy and a few several presents are, are known to be some of the famous guests that have been there. So for some golf nuts, it's interesting because they get to get a look at the, the golf course. It's nothing spectacular compared to others. It's well looked after. It looks lovely in the whole shebang. But the measures that are being made, yes, they're to keep their distance. They're not to touch the, the flagpoles. There's a guy who looks like a a match referee or a member who's kind of taking out the flag for them um, and they're carrying their own bag. So that's interesting. They're mic'd up. Um, so it's very much a little bit raw. You can see a few of the yardage um, shots. They're missing them a bit because maybe the caddy's not there kind of telling them it's 100 feet and one inch because they're just so accurate with, with what they have nowadays. So it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of crack. It is worth $3 million for charity. Uh, the first six holes, each hole was worth $50,000. And it's basically a match play. So basically, if the hole is halved, 
the $50,000 goes on to the next hole and it's worth $100,000. Um, so between holes 7 and 16, they're worth 100 grand. 17 is worth $200,000 and the hole 18 is worth half a million. So it's around $3 million each to play with. Now, both sets started with a half a million dollars each and they go to their respective charities by the end of it, who, whoever, whoever wins. So at the moment, McElroy and Johnson are up by a couple of skins. They've about 850 grand to Fowler and Wolves. I think it's 650. But uh, it's a bit of crack. They're, they're a bit of banter, slagging each other a little bit. McElroy seems to be enjoying himself. And Matt Wolf, who I've never really seen, has a mad wiggle of a swing when it gets to the top, a bit like Fury. Yeah, yeah, even, I know it. I know it. Even more of a wiggle. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting watch. They're a bit rusty where they're, sh- they're showing some of their class, but then there's a few, they're whiffing a few drives, but that's to be expected. But uh, listen, it's uh, it's it's another sports fix, you know? Well, that's it. That it's That's kind of like the kickoff of golf now and it, yeah. it shows it shows the way forward for the pga and the european tour now what way they can go and yeah it's all good in the and end. it is one of the potential sports that you can't you can kind of keep your distance it's not contact so if it's if it's done if it's taught out cleverly they could get back in fairly fairly safe anyway yeah and, and all golf courses are i know in ireland anyhow tomorrow yeah, back tomorrow re- reopen again so uh, everyone wishes they played golf now. Uh, <laughs> had a golf membership. Okay, lads, listen, we're going to finish up there. We will talk to everyone next week again. Dave, Peter, Nathan, been superb again. And hopefully now, week by week, we build up on the sport that's uh, trickling its way back. back. <laughs> and the Belarusian League. Right, lads, talk to you. Thanks very much. See you, lads. Take, Take care. Be good, lads. Take care. Bye, See you, lads. Bye, bye, bye.